right? Mm. And this is Wayne. Hey, Thank Wayne. you. Thank you. All right. Hey, can we give Brittany a hand, huh? Gosh, I'm like worship this morning and all the volunteers and I'm like, I've already had coffee already. So that just makes it worse. I'm like super excited already. And yes, fill out one of those cards. I would love to take you to coffee. Coffee is my love language. And so to add you there, to add you there with it just is like doubly good, you know. So make sure to fill one of those out. I'd love to be able to connect with you. So gosh, we want to say welcome here to the Mustard Seed Church. And uh, if you're new here checking us out. Man, we do pray and hope that today is meaningful to you, that you feel connected, that you feel a sense of maybe even God's presence in your life. And if you're even here maybe trying to check out who this Jesus guy is that we sing about and talk about and all this stuff. Gosh, I, my, from my heart to you, feel no pressure, right? Feel like, feel like you don't have to do anything. You feel free to come with all your questions and doubts and wonders and all that good stuff. So this is a safe place to do that. So my name is Wayne and I'm the lead pastor here at the Mustard Seed Church. And uh, we're beginning our sermon series on doing what Jesus did. And uh, before we get into that, you know, last week I talked about how, um, and he says, whoever believes, and this word believes, meaning that it's somebody who trusts or leans on God in terms of, you know, putting their full self on him and trusting in him. And I told you about the hiking trip that my wife and I did up to Ice Lakes. And just so you know, I wasn't kidding with that. I actually have a picture for you I want to show you. Can we put that in? Let's do that. <laughs> so the picture's not that great. But this is us hiking Ice Lakes. And she is literally just laying on top of me so she could rest, you know. <laughs> all right, all right. Talk about leaning on someone, right? Right. So we're gonna, we're gonna begin our sermon series on doing what Jesus did, and uh, and what we've been saying, what we've been using is this language of an apprentice, our apprenticeship to Jesus. And so we say that there are three goals when it comes to being an apprentice to Jesus, and we have those three goals on the screen. The first one is to be with Jesus, the second one to become like Jesus, and the third is to do what Jesus did. And so if you were here with us in the fall, we looked at the first two, the one of how, how do we as followers or apprentices of Jesus uh, be with Jesus, and how do we become like Jesus? And now we're continuing the conversation of doing what Jesus did. Is this really echoey? No? Is it good on y'all's end? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure it wasn't me. Where this idea comes from of doing what Jesus did, it's found in John chapter 14, verse 12. And Jesus says to his followers, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoever, anyone and everyone, it's open to anyone, whoever believes in me, whoever leans on me and trusts in me and the work that I've done, will do the works that I do. And this is where we get the idea of doing what Jesus did. And one of the things that Jesus did, and it's the first thing that we're going to look at in our sermon series, is that of community. Now the interesting thing about community is that for most people, and this is introverts included, I'm one of them, 
right? For most people, uh, community is very important. We would say community is very important to all humans. No matter where you're at in your walk of life, extroverted, introverted, you're a nine on the Enneagram or you're a seven or whatever that might look like, right? Community is important for all humanity. And there was one article that I read that said this. It says, communities play an important role in every aspect of our lives. We have communities in our friends, our families, our employment, our neighborhoods, and in so many other places. We find community in the sports teams we support, or the artists we enjoy, even the food we like. Having a sense of community unites us. Being a part of community can make us feel as though we are part of something greater than ourselves. It gives us an opportunity to connect with people, to reach for our goals, and to make us feel safe and secure. The importance and the value of community. But the tension that we can find within ourselves, this is some of the tension that we can find, is that even though we would probably all agree and we would say, man, community is important in my life, the tension that we find at times is that we don't all experience community. There was a study that was done by the Pew Research and they said that 27% of all Americans, 27% of all Americans said that they are very satisfied with the community that they have in their life. 27%. There was another study that was done that said for the, within the millennial groups that upward of 64% of millennials said that they find it difficult to connect with community in their life. 64%. It's this real tension of how we would all agree and say, man, community is valuable. It's an important in our life as humans, but there's also the other side of the coin where we really maybe at times don't experience community like we would like. And I know in my life, some of the tension that I have when it comes to community, this tension of wanting community but not experiencing is at times in my life, gosh, it feels like I'm running 100 miles an hour. Meetings and family and to-do list at home and trying to squeeze in a round of golf, which if you want to get with me, and then going fishing and all this, right? All these things in my life, it feels like, gosh, I'm running a hundred miles an hour. Life is busy. And in the busyness, it's hard to really try to connect with people and feel connected in that community in our life. One of the things I experienced since moving to uh, Colorado from Louisiana and especially here in Palisade is it almost seems like in Palisade everything shuts down and everybody goes inside, myself included, right? And it's this weird thing of like, I, I was talking with our elders, we were having an elders meeting and I said, Wayne, how, how's your soul doing? Wayne, how's your heart doing? I'm like, gosh, I feel so disconnected. Like I don't see people at the coffee shop or people riding around on their bikes. And I just feel so disconnected in my life. That's some of the tensions that I find for myself. When it comes to wanting community but not really experiencing community. And I wonder if this morning for some of you, you can relate to some of those. Maybe for you, you're like, Phew, life is 100 miles an hour. Does that relate to anybody? <laughs> Life is busy. And so then to find the time to carve out and actually connect with people and have deep conversation and, and, and have these deep relationships, it can be hard to do at times. For some of us, uh, maybe for you, community is, uh, you actually just don't really want to hang out with people right now. 
In this season in life, maybe your, your people meter or whatever that is, your people tank is just maxed out. And you're like, you know what? I just want to watch Friends and eat Cheetos. You get what I'm saying? And so, and so the whole idea of like actually hanging out with people, you're like, gosh, I'm just not in that place. For whatever it may be, we can all find different things for why we have this tension in life of wanting community but not experiencing community. There was another one that I thought of in terms of right, wanting to have community but not experiencing it. It takes a lot of work. And I thought about some of our moms in here. And when you try to plan uh, kids' play dates and all that good stuff, right, and form community with kids and with other moms, that takes a lot of work. Can I get some amens on that? Yeah. Right? Trying to get all the kids loaded up in the van and you're trying to plan a place to go play and got to feed lunch and do potty breaks and all. It's like that trying to form community, there's a lot of tension around it, a reason why maybe sometimes we don't experience it like we would. And this is a real tension that we have. The need for community, but maybe not the community that we want to experience in our life. There's a definition for community that Webster puts up and they say that community is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. So what this means with that definition of community is that you can find community anywhere. For you, community could be at your work, your friendships, your jobs, CrossFit, CrossFit is definitely a community. Knitting groups, golfing groups, you name it. You can find community anywhere. But one of the places where we experience the deepest amount of community is within our family. Within our family is one of the places where we can experience the deepest amount of community. And I know for me personally, my community, my family community back at home in Louisiana, whenever we go and visit, man, we gather around and it's like there's this big uh, crawfish boil that's going on and some Wayne Toops playing in the background, which if you don't know who Wayne Toops is, he's like this Zotico singer, which he's awesome. Check him out, Wayne Toops. But there's Wayne Toops playing in the background, there's crawfish boiling, there's all these tables lined up with newspapers on them and they come by the trash can and just dump all the crawfish out on the table and all my aunts and uncles and cousins are there and kids are running around and it's just like this wonderful experience of community. King cake, thank you Lord for king cake. Mm, amen. Thank you Lord. If you never had king cake... You're missing out. We're going to have to get some shipped up here from Baton Rouge so we can have some. Rather than donuts. How would that be? Rather than donuts in the morning, king cake? All right. We're going to have to make a phone call. All right. All right. That's the, that's the most amens I ever got. What in the world? King cake. But it's this, within our families, man, we can have this just wonderful experience of community. Equally on the other side of the coin, within some of our families, man, it can be some of the most heartbreaking experiences we can have as community. When angers uh, stir up and tempers flare and things are said that we wish things wouldn't have been said. And we're no longer hanging out with one another. And we're no longer talking with one another. 
families as a community is one of the most enjoyable experiences that we can have and one of the most heartbreaking. And that's what we're looking at today in terms of community. Is Jesus shows up on the scene in the Gospel of John and he radically redefines what family means. He radically redefines what family means and how we can experience that within the community. It's sort of a kingdom view of family. So would you stand with me this morning? We love to do this here in honor of the Word of God. Would you stand with me? And we're just going to read the Word of God as we stand together. We're in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. And he says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking him to speak. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Now this is a weird thing happening within this passage, right? We're going to break this down this morning. But it's a weird thing happening in this passage. But I want you to picture in your mind, with your imagination, Jesus in the house with his disciples. They're all gathering around. And if you read before this, he's teaching about all kinds of things. Sharing your faith, demons, and if if a demon, if somebody, if a demon leaves somebody, it comes back seven times stronger and brings his friends with them. Like he gets into all that kind of stuff, and he's sitting around talking with his disciples, and somebody runs in and says, "Yo, Jesus, your mother, your brother, your family—they're outside, and they want to talk to you." And he pauses in the middle of that rather than, like if it was my mama, she'd have been like, Marvin Wayne, you better come out here right now, right? If that, by the way, my first name is Marvin. Dang. I've been trying to keep that a secret for so long. Imagine Jesus, let's keep going, let's keep going, we're not going to worry about that. Imagine Jesus standing in the room in the midst of his disciples. Hey, your mom, your brother, they want you. And he stops and he says, who are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters? And he looks at those who have been following him for some years now and he says, here is my mother and my brother and my sister." It's a radical redefining of what family is. And many theologians and people far smarter than myself believe that this is actually one of the main reasons why Jesus was crucified and murdered. It's because he shows up in this family culture, in this context, and he's just like radically redefining what it means to have family. He's sort of radically redefining the system in the first century. And many believe that this is why he was killed. Now to give you some first century Palestinian history on why this was so radical. Just to give you a little context behind what's happening. During Jesus' time, he was in what is called a strong culture society. Strong culture society. So in a strong culture society, what's best for the family takes precedence over the individual. 
So for a lot of our our friends here and maybe people that you know who are immigrants who have came come here from a different country, most countries are strong cultural societies except for the West. In strong cultural societies, what's best for the family comes ahead of the individual. The family was central social institution in the biblical times and it shaped the economic relations. Family ties were central to religion. Family ties strongly influenced politics. In a strong cultural society, oftentimes when there would be marriages, they would marry within the family, sort of cousins marrying one another. I thought that was only in Louisiana, but evidently not. But it's cousins marrying one another. Or at my family watching this is going to, I'm going to get some messages and tell you. <laughs> or they would arrange a wedding to where it, the, let's say the son would marry someone that it would benefit the family the most. So they would arrange a wedding so whoever they were marrying, it would benefit the family the most. This is a strong cultural society. Also in this society is a patriarchal system, meaning that each person had individual roles that they had to follow. The wife managed the household and the husband earned a living for the family. The father was the head of the household. A wife was subordinate to her husband. Children obeyed their parents and slaves obeyed their masters. This is sort of strong cultural first century Palestinian. The husband protected the honor of his family by ensuring that each person properly fulfilled his or her roles. The father's role was to provide and to provide for and protect his family. Uh, in a strong cultural society, whenever the father would pass away, the oldest son would come up, and now he's the head of the household. And so he's the one now that has to provide and protect and care for and all of that stuff. This is strong cultural society. And this is why it was so radical for what Jesus is saying. Because in his context, where he's at, many believe that Jesus is the oldest in his family. That by now, Joseph has already passed away. When you read the Gospels, the last time that Joseph was mentioned was when Jesus was 12 years old in the temple. Jesus, Joseph is never heard of again after that. So here he is in his patriarchal system. Joseph has passed away. Jesus is the oldest. And now he is the head of the family. And this is a system that he finds himself in. The family culture as the oldest son. And they say to him, your family is outside wanting to speak to you. And he looks at his followers and says, this is my family. For some of us, this is just me, if I'm being honest. A that kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Just because in my upbringing, gosh, family is everything. But for Jesus to say, hey, essentially, in essence, what he's saying is that his, this kingdom family comes first before his blood family. He's radically redefining what family means. And that's why they say for many of them, they, they think this is one of the reasons why he was killed. There's just one thing I want to highlight from this passage today, and it's the only point that we have. And it's the radicalness of God's family. Did I spell that right? You know I make up words a lot up here. I didn't know if that was one of them. Is radicalness a word? Sure, we'll take it. Just trust me. Let's just roll with it, right? <laughs> the radicalness of God's family. 
Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, here is my family. Here are my brothers and sisters and mothers. And what Jesus is hitting on here is this kingdom reality of family. Now, all throughout the New Testament, this family language is found all throughout the New Testament. In the Gospels alone, Jesus mentions God as Father 54 times. In the Gospels alone. Jesus mentions God as Father 54 times. In the New Testament, the word that we're seeing in the Scripture, brother, the audephos, audephos is that word for brother. In the New Testament, that's in the Greek, that word, brother, is found... 343 times in 317 verses. Brother. And most of the time it's referred to as the church. And the church as family. 343 times. Now we can see this made clear in the book of Ephesians. As Paul is writing his letter. We have it on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2 through 6. Listen to the family language that is used here. All right. Listen to the family language. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose us from before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You hear the family language that's being used there. Adoption and our father and sons. And when it says sons, a lot of times in scripture it says uh, he or him and it means generality, just people, men and women. So sons is actually like sons and daughters. So there's this family language that's being used. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. This is the radicalness of God's family. That you and me are sons and daughters and he's our father and we are family here. Can you look to somebody? Let's fist bump somebody next to you and say, what up family? What up family? Yeah, right? This is the radicalness of God's family. And it all begins here in this passage that we read. This radicalness of God's family all begins here. Jesus is in the room with his disciples and he says, Here is my brother and my sister and my mother. And what's radical about what we see in the text is that uh, it's not about being a part of a family that hinges on who you were born to or where you were born at or what, what your upbringing looks like. Like being a part of the family, that doesn't matter. Like for me, I would have had no choice but to be born in Louisiana, out in the country, swimming in the bayou. That was just, that was, the, that was what I was dealt, right? But in God's family, it doesn't hinge on that. It doesn't hinge on where you were born or who you were born to or what your family background is. Just to give you a brief overview of the New Testament and the disciples. 
Andrew, James, and John, and Peter were all fishermen. Thomas was a quiet skeptic. Judas Iscariot was a treasurer who betrayed Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector who betrayed his country. Simon the Zealot was a radical who fought for his country. Can you imagine this now? These two, Jesus says, hey, you two, the one who betrayed his country and the one who's fighting for his country, you two are family now. Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Nicodemus was a religious leader who secretly followed Jesus. It's just this mishmash of all backgrounds, of all walks of life, of all people. And he says, you're family. You are my brothers and sisters and mothers. It sort of reminds me of when my wife makes a gumbo pot. When she's doing gumbo, gosh, I wake up in the morning and you can smell the roux going. I'm sorry, my mouth is watering already. But you can smell the roux going and she's getting it going and it's like green onions and celery and pepper. And then she comes in and it's like butter. You got to have butter with it, right? And then it's like eggs in there with boiled eggs and then chicken and then sausage and then chicken broth and then water and then mashed potatoes, potato salad and crackers and a big glass of milk. (laughs) Amen, huh? Golly. What are we eating today? Not that, okay. But it's just this mishmash of everything coming in the pot together. And Jesus says, this is what family's like. It's all people from all walks of life. And he says, you're all your family now. The new kingdom reality of what family means. And so can I say this here to you this morning? Gosh, if you've come here and you're like, man, Wayne, you talk about community, but I don't have it. You talk about the goodness of family, but that's not my experience. You talk about coming into a church and being welcomed like family, Wayne. That hasn't been my experience. Can I tell you, you you will find that here. That's our heart here. That this is a place where you can belong before you believe. That you come in and are welcomed and loved on like family. And in Jesus' time and also in ours, gosh, this is radical. This is what's so intriguing about following Jesus in the first century. That you just had a mix of people from different backgrounds and different ethnic groups and different beliefs and different political leanings, different financial statuses, social status. It's just just this mishmash of people and God says, you're family. How crazy is that, right? And this is true for us today. In this community, in this valley, in this church. That you can come from Palisade and Junction and Fruta and Delta and... Delta? Maybe, yeah, Delta. We'll we'll throw Delta in there. But you can come from Palisade and Junction and Fruta and Delta and Uganda and Ethiopia, Afghanistan, Germany, Iraq... You can come from all walks of life. And he says, this is family. This is your brothers and sisters. What it means now is that you can be Republican and Democrat and be in the same family. Can you hear that? You can be conservative and liberal and still be in the same family. You can be a wealthy real estate agent or a kid make a minimum wage at a fast food restaurant and be in the family. 
You can be following Jesus for 30 years and doing all the right things. Or you can be saying yes today to Jesus for the first time after all the ways you've maybe messed up in your life. And guess what? Your family. It's a radical thing that the Father has done through Jesus. He looks at all who say yes to him and he says, here's my family. All who say yes to him, here's my family. He looks at us here at the Mustard Seed Church. Here's my family. He looks at you. Here's my brother and my sister and my mother. He's radically redefining what family means. Talk about a different kind of community, right? This is what we're invited into. Dallas Willard has a quote. He talks about community. And he says, the aim of God in history is the the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself at the very heart of this community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Let me read that again. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself at the very heart of the community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. This is the radicalness of God's family. Now to close our time out, as we close, if we can have our worship team come up. We're going to take communion today as for ministry time. Which I love communion, by the way, to run with the family feel. I baked bread this morning for communion. Right? Come on, man. Hey, don't judge me. Don't judge me on it, right? It ain't Francesca sourdough bread, but she's taking me under her wings. I was like, Francesca, how can I bake bread? She sent me like this ingredients list, you know? So, so I, baked, I made bread last night and baked it this morning. I'm like, man, let's do this for communion. No, that'll be fun. That's a, that's, a very, that's a family vibe, right? That's a family vibe. So to close out our time, gosh, I want to address two things. I want to address two things that hinder, and I want you to hear me out. Two things that hinder the radicalness of God's family. This is serious business. Two things that hinder the radicalness of God's family. And they're mostly found in the West in our culture. The first one is the culture of individualism. Individualism. This is the definition of individualism. It's a political and social philosophy that emphasizes the moral worth of the individual and makes the individual its focus. The concept values independence and self-reliance and advocates that the interest of the individual should take precedence over a community. The interest of an individual should take preference over a community. This is why this is a hindrance. Because with individualism, what it says is that, you know what? I don't really want to hang out with those kind of people. You know what? I only want to really hang out with people who like to play golf or who go fishing or who are in the same age group as me. I don't want to hang up out there. I don't want to hang out with that guy that's talking about revival all the time, like in politics. Indiv-
individualism says, what's best for me? And that hinders the radicalness of God's family. The second thing that hinders it is the culture of tribalism. These two things are on rise in our country. Individualism and tribalism. Tribalism has the mentality that it's us versus them. That some people are good and some people are bad and we just want to hang out. I want to hang out with the good and not with the bad. And so it's kind of like you find your own community but it's just like a different weird kind of vibe of community. David Brooks in his book called The Second Mountain, he says tribalism is the dark twin to community. Tribalism is the dark twin to community. And we see this on display mostly in the political arena. Us versus them mentality. I'm Republican and we're versus them. Democrats or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm liberal and I'm, we're versus them. It's this us versus them mentality. I'm pro-life, they're pro-choice. I'm pro-choice, they're pro-vax. And what happens is we only end up hanging out with the people who look like us, talk like us, believe like us, think like us. And we're in this little tribal community to where then everybody else is on the outside who thinks different and looks different and feels different than we do. It hinders the radicalness of God's family. John Mark Homer says this, why we need community. We have the quote up on the screen. He says, as practice the way of Jesus, we need partners for the journey. A community to help us along the way. Jesus invites all who follow him to be a part of a new family. This family of God is not a social club or a group of friends who look, think, and talk similarly but a community of apprentices following Jesus' way of life. And despite the work that it takes, the fights we will endure, and the learning we will do along the way, together we're figuring out how to be with Jesus, become like Him, and do what He did. That's the radicalness of God's family. 